follow the Four Corners Podcast on social media. Like us on Facebook, Four Corners Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Podcast Four Corners. And check us out on Instagram, Four Corners Podcast. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. I want to take this time to apologize to the television audience for what they're about to see. You'll know why I greet you like that tonight. My name is Shad. I'm here with Matt and Brad, and we're glad we could join us. Guys, how are you doing? I'm doing, I'm doing good. Well. <laughs> All right. We're off to a great start. Uh, <laughs> um, guys, we thank you all for joining us. We're glad you could be here. Um, you heard our social media bumper. Please hit us up and follow us. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, just a few things before we dig in to a special episode doing something we haven't done before exactly uh, a couple things we need to do number one we need to uh talk about collar and elbow the wrestling brand you know this this past weekend i got up on saturday and it was one of those weekends where with my kids we weren't going anywhere in particular we weren't doing anything and i wanted something comfy and i wanted something that was just it was going to feel good to wear all day, so I got one of my collar and elbow shirts because that's just how comfortable they are. Uh, if you go to their website and use the promo code Four Corners Podcast, no spaces. That's the number four, capital C and corners, capital P and podcast. You get ten percent off your order. And um, hey, I'll be honest with you. If you've listened to us for any amount of time, I've I've talked so good about them at this point. I'm starting to run out of things to say. Um. <laughs> So if if Matt and Brad, if you guys have new things to say about it, I'm uh, I'd love to hear them. But my well's starting to run dry. Um, I will say my. Oh, I was gonna say I get really upset because for some reason my yellow lion, sport of kings shirt is a magnet for any kind of food that I eat. Mm. And um, <laughs> yeah, so anytime I like try and eat, like it ends up on that shirt. So it's. It's gotten stained to the point, like, I'm going to have to buy a new one. Uh, I will say that I was just going to interject and say that the uh, the yellow um, Sport of Kings Lion shirt is actually my wife's favorite. She wears hers uh, pretty frequently. Cool. I see her wearing it probably at least every other week, I want to say. Oh, that's excellent. Mm -hmm. um, I know they also, they just had their two-year anniversary uh, from when they started, so... They're they're plugging right along. They're doing great. Uh, this is not collar and elbow related, but my wife got and this is this is more uh, a quick AEW shout out. But my wife got a Sammy Guevara shirt from AEW and wears that quite frequently. Okay, uh, the panda one. Yeah, yeah, the panda one. I I I got it. I got it with an order what for mine. So I wear. Pretty frequently because I like the shirts. I just have the standard AEW shirt and then the AEW is Jericho shirt. You know, so most of like the pro wrestling tees shirts, which I think that 
that's uh, they do the AEW shirts. Am I right? Yeah. 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 Um, most of them they use the the brand is like what Gildan um, cotton shirts. I think yeah. that's right. Yeah, and it's if you know anything about that specifically, like that brand, it's uh, I'm not gonna say cheap. It's like affordable uh, cotton. Because if you if you actually make like custom shirts, which I've done before on occasion for different things, um, it's kind of reasonably priced. That said, their shirts are actually pretty good. Because I actually like if you're not gonna do like the uh, <laughs> the collar and elbow really soft cotton. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually like a, a t-shirt that actually has a little bit of like body to it. It's not like super thin. Because I feel like once you wash those a few times, like they just start getting all wrinkled and they start getting just be like a mess. So sure. they use kind of they use kind of just like a, it's like a perfectly reasonably affordable, but also kind of like decent um, thickness to it. So I, I actually like their shirts. I think their shirts hold up. Like I've I wear them pretty frequently, and even like with repeated washings, like they still yeah, have like a body to them because there's nothing worse than getting like one of those graphic tees and like the second time in the washer like it tears like the the art tears and you're just like well, oh yeah yeah because um, what's the point because some of the hot topic stuff way like five or six <clears throat> years ago was notorious for that so mm-hmm. so yeah um the i've had a few pro wrestling t-shirts that uh, i mean they've been nice and everything but it's it's like one out of three or one out of four just itches like fire, and I don't know why. <laughs> but anyway, um, they have a couple shirts now. I'm I mean I'm kind of trying to do a moratorium on <laughs> buying stuff, but yeah, they have a they have a Sean Spears one which is kind of interesting. It's uh, he's calling himself the chairman after his oh. little incident with. Uh, with did Cody you guys Rhodes. did you guys see the news over the weekend about who they signed to be his new co- executive consultant? It's Tully Blanchard, Tully? right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, they've actually. I heard that they hired Tully for a, a, at least a few appearances, and I think he was on. Uh, if it maybe it's not being the elite, it's like kind of like the the road to all out. I think is what they're mm. they're describing it, and the they, there's like a there's a video up on YouTube. And there's a real brilliance to that move because of hit, you know baby <clears throat> dolls gimmick being the perfect ten, and now um, oh I didn't even think about that yeah the um, I was going to say that Sean Spears was proclaiming himself as chairman because he's Parka's illegitimate son, but <laughs> you know anyway hashtag T-shirt money right and yes. then the other thing we got to do before we dig in. Is that um, we got to give a special shout out, isn't that right, Matt? That's right. We got to give a shout out to Epico Cologne. Um, you know, Epico doesn't really have a T-shirt, but I would buy um, many of his <laughs> if if it was offered on a Shop Zone WWE yeah. Shop Zone. We keep we keep I keep putting the offer on our Instagram that we would buy him a collar and elbow shirt if he ever takes us up on it. I certainly would. Yep. All right, so. With that out of the way, we are going to be digging into something a little bit different. Something you probably don't see the likes of much. Um, Well, depending on where you live. Uh, But what we're going to do is we decided to to take a page 
out of the Wayback Machine. And not even like the stuff you're going to find on the network Wayback Machine. This is different. And this is this is different, right? Because we went to Smoky Mountain Wrestling, 1993. This is Smoky Mountain Wrestling Bluegrass Brawl, 1993, recorded in paint in Pikeville, Kentucky. How close are you to Pikeville, Kentucky? Out of random curiosity. From where I sit right now, about three three and a half hours. Okay. Oh, that's so, that's okay. almost a third of the way across the state. Pikeville is, if you look at the little point on the the east edge of Kentucky, that's where Pikeville sits. So if we're if we're gonna let's um let's let's talk a little about Smoky Mountain Wrestling before we um, we dig into this show. Um, this was this promotion ran from the fall of 1991 until about. I think Thanksgiving weekend of 1995 was their final shows. Uh, it unfortunately didn't make it because uh, <clears throat> I think Cornette was just paying out the ass for getting aired on TV. Mm-hmm. And 95 was obviously just a terrible year for wrestling. Now, um, have either of you watched any Smoky Mountain wrestling other than like some clips here and there uh, before? I've watched I some matches. Go ahead, Matt. Oh, sorry. I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off. Like no, I, okay. have, I have not. I have only really seen clips. Okay. I have seen a few matches. Um, the first one that comes to mind was... Uh, it was Cactus Jack versus Chris Candino, Candido for the soul of Boo Radley, I think. Oh, yes. And the cat. <laughs> yeah. And then you, prob- you, both, you probably saw Jake Roberts and Dirty White Boy off the Jake DVD set. Um, I just don't remember it very well. It wasn't very good. <laughs> that was kind of in one of Jake's low points, wasn't it? Yeah, I don't think he was as terrible as he was in ECW, but... Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I remember us talking about that. So Terry we, Funk had a lot to say about that, didn't he, Matt? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so then, um, I've seen a lot of the TV. This was... This was actually one of the first promotions I bought all the TV for when I got like my first like real career job. My okay. celebration was buying all the Smoky Mountain Wrestling on DVD, which okay. if you want to get the TV from like a tape trader or something, most of this came from the master tape, so it's all in impeccable shape. And you get those nice dead spots where the commercial should go. <laughs> but um, for me... Smoky Mountain Wrestling is probably top five-ish for me as far as my favorite wrestling promotions. Really? Yes. Because, um, and we'll get into it a little more, but when you get into Smoky Mountain Wrestling, like, it is hokey as fuck. Like, it is... is I kind of got that feel from this show. (laughs) It is kind of an anachronism. We're talking, like, mid-90s and, like, half the roster's coming out to Foreigner songs. Um, but I just love it. Like the, there's some great talkers in there. Like the angles are pretty well done. Like there's some creativity in there. Um, like I said, I like the, there's a certain timeless quality because it is so hokey. Like it doesn't have the issue that ECW does where it's, where like I watched ECW at the time, but when you go back, ECW is just two nineties now. We, I actually, um, I was listening to our review recently of uh, November to Remember, 
and 98 and yeah. i kind of mentioned this and it's true like i i don't feel ecw really holds up that well like I, years later yeah, I, I agree with that i think there's something to that that 90s extreme like thing ages really really terribly like it yeah. just does not there are certain like stuff that we've watched. I mean, look, like we, we just did the whole series on uh, the Mega Powers, and uh, even if you go to like NWA shows and stuff like that, or you could even contemplate like say this show, like there is a certain like timeless quality because like the things that are done or the the kind of recurring tropes or storylines, like it, it does hold up. But I don't like the ECW stuff. Just it does feel like really really dated, and for the mm-hmm. time it was like very avant garde, but. Uh, I just don't feel like it really holds up. No, and this is—it's got a. Um, I'm sorry, Brad. Let me hop in. It's got a. You're in a space where at the time you're like, "Oh, this is great," but now not only are you tired of it, but it's like, if, knowing what we know now, it's uncomfortable to watch too. Yeah, it is. Oh yeah, it, it, some of the stuff like the the way they treat women, like I just can't. Yeah. And all of like the unprotected headshots. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but like, so, so there's some things about Smoky Mountain you need to know before we get into this. So it is unapologetically southern in a way that even like <laughs> Memphis and WCW aren't. Like this is this is kind of like an extension if you've watched like Continental from the '80s, which is which is um, very southern, but. It's, I, I, I think, um, I think if you're like a Midwesterner, like I am, or more like an East Coaster, like Matt, like there's going to be a little culture shock in here. <laughs> well, so the, I, I guess I kind of figured how Southern it was with the accents and the, the massive amounts of mullets, uh, <laughs> from everyone. Um, you would be surprised though. I'm not, uh. I'm not as like it, it's not as much of a culture shock because my family is actually from the south. Uh, this is probably a little further south than, than even my family's from. Well, but, let's, let's I mean, bear it's mind not as if I've 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 not like I'm aware of southern culture. Like I come from southern culture technically. I was going to say, let's bear in mind that this is where they're recording is not technically southern. Where we're recording, this is mountain, and mountain and southern are not the same thing either. Oh, I'm not going to make that difference. distinction. What's that? Like, I'm not going to make that distinction. If you're in Kentucky, like you're in the South, you're you're you're. I I am mountain, and I will make that distinction. Yeah, but this to me, this isn't mountain though. There's like a touch of mountain in there, but this is this is like unapologetically southern. It is it is absolutely southern style. There's no question. Um, but so I'm not gonna. Uh, that was the only. The only time I was going to try and make that distinction, I was not going to completely split hairs on it. So uh, I'm going to leave it there. So we're going to get into the matches, but I just want to make a statement, and I'm going to reiterate it later. But watching this show, Robert Fuller is a goddamn national treasure. (laughs) I am a Robert Fuller fan. He's really underappreciated. If you are only familiar with Robert Fuller from his exposure uh, in WCW and as uh, Tennessee Lee, Jeff Jarrett's manager in WWF, you're missing out on an awful lot. I actually still feel he's really entertaining in WCW as Colonel Robert Parker, but 
Um, I get what you're saying. Like he actually was a pretty good actual wrestler. Yeah. And just as a on the mic, like he was great. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that that he's not good. I'm just saying that you're missing a lot. Yeah. He, but is like a wrestler because he's just like, like he has that that like almost Hollywood cowboy vibe where he's just like, I'm here to fucking like kick some ass, like, and I'm just thrilled as shit about it. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's a great way of putting it. <laughs> Cause like I just love his like the promo for this like he is just dressed like just pure white trash and he's like doing this like exercise with these like hand weights and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I also have to say like with Jimmy Golden it's also great because Jimmy Golden really like accentuates like their that they are, like, just, like, southern, like, ass-kickers. They've got a, a real vibe that kind of goes together, doesn't it? And I loved, we'll get into it more, but, like, uh, Golden selling how loud the cheers were for the Rock and Roll Express was really good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll, d- we'll dig into that match as we get to yes. it a little bit. Um, Smoky Mountain. Uh, the, I, I was... I was Messaging back and forth with Matt and Brad when we were going into this. And I think the phrase I, I used to you guys is, this would be like shows that I used to work if everybody on the show knew what they were doing. Um, or was really good at what they were doing, might be a better way of putting it. Because it's it's got a very, I don't want to say raw, but it's got a very kind of authentic sort of indie feel but with people who are very good at what they're doing and um you know it, it gave me some nostalgia pangs it has and, a very, and then brad um, brad said i need to take up the, yeah gritty is a good word yeah brad said i needed to go back and take up the ron Wright manager gimmick <laughs> i still think you could get because you don't get to see it here but when he starts out in smoky mountain wrestling he's like you know I, you know, I screwed my back up and, you know, I need this, I need these wrestlers to, um, to, uh, make me some money because, you know, my heart pills cost a lot and, you know, it's going to be a cold winter and you know, here's this PO box, like send me some money. Yeah. And I really think, I really think like you having like some wrestlers, like will you down to the ring and you cutting promos, like, you know, can't afford my heart pills and stuff and you know you wearing the old man blanket like around your legs and stuff i think you would get over huge i think i think a cane to have them help me get in the ring and a cane to keep me upright and things like that while i get in there and then they walk me back out to the chair would probably work yeah if there's enough room around the ring to to move a wheelchair some of them there aren't but oh yeah that's true so our hosts for this are Les Thatcher and Lance Russell. Lance Russell's coming in special for this, I think, because um, usually TV at this point was Bob Cottle and Dutch Mantel. So what this Dutch, is, a, yeah, Dutch was busy. Yeah. Come on, so, come on, Terry. <laughs> Terry, we kick for the love of God, Terry, don't curse. <laughs> There's um. <laughs> They're, so they do they do a host segment that I, and one of my favorites is um Dutch Mantel's with Barry Horowitz. Okay. And he's like, do you know what your record is in like Smoky Mountain Wrestling? And Barry Horowitz is like, no. And he's like, I don't remember what it is, but he's like, you're 0 and 83. 
And Barry Horowitz is like, gosh, I didn't know it was that bad. <laughs> but um, so what this is, if you're wondering what this is, this is like a big house show that they taped for commercial release. Mm-hmm. So that's why there's some commentary in there and um, the production's low quality and you get some backstage stuff. Yeah. Um, it didn't seem like they were they were set up. This, I'm not as familiar with Smoky Mountain as Brad is, but it didn't seem like like their entranceway wasn't set up the same way it it, it might usually be or something like that. No, the, a lot of their TV was um was like high schools and stuff. So you usually had like the set where um, Cottle and Mantell and later like Jim Ross and Les Thatcher would interview the talent. Mm-hmm. And then you would get like those um, the local bumpers like you got in the 80s, mm-hmm. kind of like in the backstage area. But there was never like fancy entranceways. Or well, anything. not even not even fancy, just like an actual entranceway, because that's one thing that you see in this. Is the guys just kind of walk through the crowd and then step under the rope. Yeah. Um, incidentally, stepping the rope as your barricade. I'm quite well. I'm quite familiar with that phenomenon. But uh, you know what? It's not as big a deal as as someone might be concerned it would be. Yes. So, so we kicked this off with um, the Mongolian Stomper basically getting jumped by Rob Morgan to start a match, and then Stomper well, hold, beats the crap out of him and wins. Well, hold on. Before we got that, instead of the national anthem, we uh, we stood for my old Kentucky home. Oh yes, I forgot about that. I did again. If you didn't think you were in the South, it, it's. It's I guess is that is that the the state song? Yeah, Chad? that's okay. that's the state anthem. And I stood for my old Kentucky home when I watched this too. Really? Is there that much like? Uh, no, I, I, to be <laughs> honest with you, yeah, I thought it was funny to do. I don't think I even know Ohio's um, like state anthem, and I've lived here my entire life. Well, it's like if if people go to see the the musical Oklahoma and they're from Oklahoma, they will stand whenever people sing that song as part of the show. Um, uh, my understanding is typically if it's a live performance and that that the anthem applies to you, you're supposed to stand for it. But if it's a recording, you don't have to. So, you know, you go to a baseball game and they sing the national anthem, you stand up. But you know. You're watch you're watching a tape delay or something like that. Eh, whatever. That's been my understanding anyway. Um, something about the the stomper match, which basic that's that's all I'm going to refer to it as. But uh, it was it was a big difference for me. Like I knew it, but I didn't know it that they they're just they're using everyday songs for entrance stuff, right? So Morgan comes out, and I can't remember what he comes out to. And then you hear the Halloween theme for the Stomper to come out. Oh, yeah, you did. And not only that, but it starts playing, and I'm like, oh, man. I haven't thought about using that for entrance music since my e-fetting days. But then the crowd starts clapping along to it, which I did not expect at all. (laughs) And then, you know, like Brad said, the Stomper gets in there. Morgan tries to Shanghai him, and... Gets the crap beat out of him. I don't think Stomper even took off his jacket, did he? No, he didn't. No. But, I mean, he's, like, pushing, like, 60 here. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they're using him... They use him, like, off and on, like, as a local legend to come in and team with people or, you know, get some extra fans in the house. 
Mm. So I will, uh, I actually, uh, this is going to be a shout out, shout out to uh, our friend Justin uh, mm-hmm. from Canada. I actually asked him like, cause uh, Stomper is originally from uh, Alberta, Canada. And so I asked Justin, like, is, is Alberta like country? And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, are they like cowboys or rednecks? Like pick one. <laughs> and he basically said, <laughs> uh, he said like Alberta is basically the Canadian equivalent, uh, the people from there. He didn't describe it as a, he didn't describe them as hillbillies because it's apparently flat. There's no hills, but he described them as a uh, flat billies. So uh, that's that's your explanation as to why uh, a Canadian from Alberta <laughs> somehow made his way to to Tennessee, Kentucky, and uh, found a home there. I guess he felt comfortable <laughs> in well, the wilds, yeah, the wilds well, of Kentucky, and he makes his way down, and then there's a, you know, he he finds the hills that his heart has been yearning for the whole time, right? Mm-hmm. He actually had a cool gimmick in like the 70s and 80s when he was doing like the bulk of his work as a heel. Like they sold it that he had like inner ear problems. So if the crowd got really loud, he would sell it like it hurt. Oh, wow. And he'd wear like headgear. So then the crowd would get extra loud to try and like screw with him. And it was um was actually a really original gimmick. That is a delightfully like not exactly, but kind of meta idea. And he did like Memphis. He did um, he did like Knoxville and stuff like that. So he was around a lot. Okay, I like that. I like that. So this was just a nothing match. Um, so then we go to um, Brian Lee rolling the dice for his upcoming match with Kevin Sullivan. I should have wrote these down. I know one was that he would have to wrestle Kevin Sullivan and the Night Stalker. One was the ring would be surrounded in fire. Mm-hmm. And then one was a Singapore spike match. And then one role was he got to pick the gimmicks. Mm-hmm. But I don't remember what the first two were. Yeah, if he rolled a six on the die, he got to pick whatever it was. Yeah. Um, and they smartly did this in the ring so no one could see the dice. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, that was that actually was a smart idea. Yeah. By the way, uh, you may consider him Brian Lee. I only consider him as Undertaker number two. <laughs> the Underfaker. The Underfaker. Which ruined his career. Did you it? Know. I mean, he had a career after that. Like he was, he kind of reinvented himself in ECW, and then he was chained. No, that was yeah, Brian had, Lee. Yeah, he had that. Um. Wait, was Brian Adams chained, or was that no? Brian Lee? He was no. like no Brian. Brian Adams was Crush. Oh, that's right. So he was, he was still he was still crushed even when he he was with uh, DOA. Okay, so then Brian Lee was chains. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Wow, DOA sucked. I I had a moment there where I was kind of freaking out, and I was like, I don't think that's right. And then I realized that you were saying chains, but I was hearing nails. Oh. And uh, that's that's a career ender right there. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, no. Right. No, Brian Lee was never quote unquote. <laughs> Was never quote unquote sexually assaulted by Vince McMahon, or was it? Is that what he accused McMahon of doing? Uh, amongst other things, yes, he did accuse him. Didn't of he that. get like he was he was in the steroid trial? They put him on the stand, and he just went way off the reservation. No, I think this was over a money dispute, and he like assaulted McMahon, and then like claimed that McMahon tried to like put the moves on him or something. I thought they put they they brought him up to be a damaging character witness for um, 
in the in the steroid trial, but that's they that might have. Kevin Wakal Wakals Wakals something like that. Hang on, well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he testified that he was told to use steroids, but the problem is, like, he was so... He obviously had such a personal grudge that his testimony, I think, actually wound up probably helping McMahon. I think so. Yeah, that's... That's not listed on the Wikipedia page, which kind of... That's kind of... That's a, this is a weird segue to get into talking about Nails. Nails might be... One of the worst wrestlers I've ever seen. Yeah, even as Kevin Kelly, he sucked pretty bad. Yeah. So okay. Anyway, sorry about that. That's a so heck Brian. Brian side. Lee um, rolls the six. He looks at the sheet and he decides to go with the Singapore Spike match. Yeah. And we'll get into what that gimmick is later because it's um, it was kind of an interesting idea. You know, the thing that 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 jumped out at me is they did this spike match. And then I remembered, because it was from, I think it was a Great American Bash we reviewed, where Ming was part of the Dungeon of Doom and had a golden spike. Oh, yeah. They carried around with him. And I was like, oh, that's why he had it. That only slightly makes sense, but it makes a little bit. Oh, is this, so this is why the Dungeon of Doom was going around clubbing seals, like, to get ready for Hogan. <laughs> yeah, Sullivan had a uh, had a promo that was just... Um, um, off the charts, uh, wacky. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, can't, I can't help but kind of love it, because his whole thing is about, I don't have any mercy... I go after things weaker than me. I went up to Canada and I was clubbing baby seals and they were looking up at me like, please don't do it. And then I hit him <laughs> and he kept ducking out of the shot out of frame. Yeah. And he's already short enough that it's kind of like, um, yeah, we're not reshooting this. The, and I have to say the backstage interviewer that they used for like the first couple of matches was an absolute creep. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, we we kind of had a little bet going on about that. That yeah, how many how yeah, how many uh, inappropriate photos did he have on his laptop? The answer is that probably he, uh, probably a lot that he may or may not have served time for at some point in his yeah. life. Yes, yeah. So, so up next we get um, Tim Horner and the Night Stalker. Uh, Tim Horner cuts a very god awful promo before he goes out <laughs> to the ring. Yeah. So yeah. what I have to say about this match is, um. I think there was like a fairly good eight minute match buried in like 13 minutes of like mediocre because there was some stuff the Night Stalker did in this match that I really thought was good. Like that side slam he put on Horner (coughs) was Uh, vicious looking and that that springboard like clothesline he hit. And I liked the back and forth like where Horner would kind of was kind of like trying to pretty much like get him on his knees with yeah. like chokes and stuff. There was some good stuff in here. It was just too long. I didn't have like the same reaction. Like I didn't like this match at all. I thought it was boring and it did go on way too long. And I didn't even feel like Brian Clark was that great in this, which it's kind of sags that at this point, I think he had been, he had been in the business like four or five years. I think 
he debuted debuted in like eighty nine. Yeah, he had been around a while. He shouldn't. He should have been a little better than he was. But uh, why is it that they never did much with him? I mean, he was kind of like partnered with Sullivan, but I think he was gone pretty quick. Okay. Yeah. They. I mean, they. Yeah, he went to the WWE as Adam Bomb, but. Yeah. They never did anything with him there either. No, he he actually still has a grudge with Jim Ross because he said Jim Ross made me a bunch of promises that never panned out. So it's he, almost a little surprising they didn't do more with him because again, I don't think he was great, but it's like it's not he as had if, a look. See, I mean, seriously, look at that guy. Of all of the people that they have were have pushed just based off of look. Mm-hmm. He's been able to outwork a lot of them. Well, and but see, he's just been bad timing. Like WCW got him over in like '98 because they gave him that really long winning streak. Yeah, and then they then Kevin Nash sacrificed him to himself for the Goldberg match when they probably could have done like a Goldberg versus Wrath match that went somewhere. Yeah, I actually liked him in Wrath. I thought the the Wrath Mortis. We have talked about this before. Like the Wrath Mortis tag team was actually really underrated. It was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Like the and whole Blood Runs Cold thing was kind of like not good, but uh, they were actually a bright spot. Yeah. Well, well and at, even post I, that, when he was he was still I, called Wrath, but he was out. You know, he just just hitting big moves and and doing you know just out there having matches. Like he had kind of a mini feud with Ming. To establish, to establish, you know, just just wrath, you know, wrath is is not someone to be overlooked, and it took two of you know, of his meltdowns, which I thought was a super cool finish, to put Ming away. They had a, a pretty good pay per view match for it. Like the biggest thing that happened for Brian Clark, I guess, was Chronic, which you know it's good that he had a good run, but I feel like I feel like that he they. He could have had and done more, right? He had a good look. Like, he had a certain aura about him. Like, I think there have been guys on top, even in that era, that were worse workers than him. Like, I just don't get mm-hmm. it. Like, like he definitely didn't have, like, Sid's charisma. Like, I get, like, why Sid kept getting pushed by people. Mm-hmm. But, like, Brian Clark just kind of like, wow, like, he really could have... You couldn't have like penciled him in for like a program with Bret Hart or something. In okay, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna grab both sides of this. The this match itself, I enjoyed. Like I thought it was pretty good. I saw it as we saw bits of Clark being pretty good in this that were unfortunately kind of stalled out in between. Like it was spaced out too much. I mean, he's still trying to do stuff to involve the crowd, and he did, you know, he had really good um, execution. You know, you mentioned his side slam, his springboard lariat. He had a really good power slam in there. You know, he had, he, Brian Clark looked like a guy who would jack you up if you got into a fight with him. That's and. It comes up in the next match, but I thought he actually did a really good job, like in his parts of the Kevin Sullivan Brian Lee match, especially like the aftermath. Mm-hmm. Like I thought he acted that part really well. Um, it was just a, uh, I, 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 
I look back and I see Clark as a missed opportunity. Someone that could anybody could have done more with than what they did. I guess save Smoky Mountain because he wasn't there very long. Um, but you know, I thought this was a pretty good match. I liked the finish on this match. Um, that that was the the biggest thing about this match for me is I liked the finish because they actually did an over the top rope DQ that wasn't like didn't make someone look like a dumbass. Right. He he um he threw uh the you know uh hang on, let me get the Horner keeps trying to go for a sleeper to bring Clark down from being way up high, right? Finally, Night Stalker goes over the ropes, grabs him by the head and just flips him off of him over the top. Okay, so since they're still operating under old NWA rules, that's a disqualification, but it is Night Stalker getting this guy the hell off of him, which means Horner wins by virtue of frustrating the guy who's been beating the crap out of him for most of the match. So neither guy looks bad. It looks like Horner kind of outsmarted him, and Stalker doesn't look weak. He just looks like he got irritated. So I liked that finish. That was... In my opinion, that was a way of having a DQ finish that did a service to both guys. Yeah, I agree with that. So up next, we get um, we get Brian Lee and Kevin Sullivan promos. So this is actually a problem early Smoky Mountain Wrestling has is the heels are really great talkers and really compelling, but a lot of the faces are not. Oh, yeah, it was Horner that was called White Lightning. What was Brian Lee's nickname? Prime time. Prime time. <laughs> no. I'm sorry, no. I, I, I just, uh, no. <laughs> so this is a, this is a, what is it called? A Singapore spike match? Yes. So yes. what happens here is, according to what the announcers say, he, um, <clears throat> you... There is a spike in one of four boxes that are around, like, on the ring posts. And the person that gets the spike is allowed to use it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not, of all the gimmick matches I've ever seen, this this is, this whole premise is, like, not good. It's, it's four boxes on the ring posts. And even if you get the foreign object, it's a spike, Right, really. Even like a chain, or like brass knucks, or something like that. Like, what the hell? It's a spike. Um, the like a railroad spike. What I mean, really? Like, this is such a deadly weapon. I don't know. I I didn't like the whole. I didn't like the whole box thing. It's like, I don't know. I this is like three for three at this point for this mat. Like the mashes, I didn't care for. And I'm like, I don't. I don't. No, I don't see the appeal. Yeah. <laughs> this is it's, what it's like. It's not... Um, okay, here. I, I will say something in defense of this gimmick, Matt. And you have to tell me whether you... This is by no means the worst boxes in four corners match I've ever seen. Because there was a Scott Steiner Booker T for the heavyweight title match in the middle of the Russo WCW era that had boxes in the four corners and i can't even remember what the title was in one of the corners 
So it wasn't even a, there's a weapon there, so there's suspense to get it. It's just like, oh, he broke open the box, did he win? No. So it missed the point. Like, having having the four boxes, and you're supposed to open the box and find the weapon, is supposed to build heat, right? It's it, it, There's supposed to be anticipation. Is it in this one? Incidentally, it's never in any of them except for the last one, except when it isn't. Um, but this this was better than that. It was an okay match. Like if if, it, if they had played it more straight or with a different gimmick, it was it was acceptable wrestling. It was okay. I mean, Lee Lee did a good job firing up and brawling with with Sullivan. And uh, Brian. So the other thing they did is they handcuffed Horner and Clark to the ring posts to keep them from interfering. Yeah. And um, Clark, I thought Clark inserted himself in the match pretty well, like mm-hmm. where he kind of got a hold of um, Brian Lee in the corner. Yeah. And there then was... he gets pissed off at Sullivan at the end and pretty much won't give him the spike, and then Brian Lee gets it. And Lee didn't even use the spike. Like, No, that's what was dumb. He didn't even use it. He just pins Kevin Sullivan. Right. That this is an awful finish to it. It was very confusing because it's like yeah. the whole point is uh, ostensibly again the the Singapore spike, and it's like I don't even think it was in the boxes. All of a sudden, just like Night Stalker has it, and I like, think Sullivan, Sullivan, tries Sullivan to... like missed it, and then Stalker. I don't. I don't know. Maybe he grabbed it out of the box. I don't know. Like, I, either that, or, or Stalker to, like, stole it out of the box early on. Yeah, he was supposed to give it to Kevin Sullivan, and then like he wouldn't, and then there was like the schmoz finish where yeah, for a grudge match to end with a roll up. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Come on. Right. So at this point, I was like really losing confidence in things, and I don't. I was actually very angry at Cornette because Cornette li- likes to run his mouth off about when people do, you know, hokey stuff uh, <laughs> on the indie scene. I mean, this guy gets like apoplectic whenever Joey Ryan does like flip someone with his dick, but he's booking like this nonsense. And it th- I, to me again, I'm sorry. Like it, this was like garbage. This was like a garbage match. Not even, I mean, like, garbage wrestling. I mean, this is just the shits. So, the I don't... <laughs> Cornette has a real problem. Like, so he... If you if you hear him talk about it, he wanted Brad Armstrong as his, like, top face. But it, Brian Lee was the guy he had to start with. And he, mm-hmm. you can tell, like, by the way he books him, he has no confidence in him because he does this shit to Brian Lee, like, all the time. Like, he actually wins the title at the end of the tournament on, like, a DQ and, like, Commissioner Bob Armstrong has to save him. And it's just stuff like this that kind of like undercuts him all the time because Cornette has like no confidence in him. Mm-hmm. So that um, that is a continuous issue. Because okay. I will say this, I, I love Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Like it is a great promotion with some great talkers, but man, Cornette really screws some stuff up sometimes. Yeah. I don't. The other question, I guess, that comes into here and in the for what it's worth is we are potentially looking at we don't know if someone agent in this or produced this match or if it just if it was just like okay here what's here's what's going on Sullivan you know what you're doing go out there and do this and that's no, kind of what they came up I, with I'm sure Cornette had some like say in it yeah 
Sullivan's in it, and Sullivan has been a booker. He said, all right, Kevin, you know what you're doing. Here, excuse that word. I don't get to very often. But um, and, uh, maybe, I don't know. Like I said, I don't think there's a whole lot of uh, producing or agents running around. No, I wouldn't think you'd have the the resources for that. No. So, so Matt, at this point, you're you were pretty done with the show, I'd say. I was. Uh, no, nah, I mean, I'll I'll give everything a fair shot. So, but I was hoping that the last couple of matches would redeem the show. So. Yeah, because I'll say these first three matches were not great. Like I will say in defense that this is more like a house show than a pay per view. Yeah. So, um, just a bigger house show that got some build on TV. So we head into our next um, promos where we kind of go through the issues with Tracy Smothers and um, the dirty white boy. And uh, Matt picked out uh, some compelling uh, angles going on here with Tracy Smothers. (laughs) Uh, In his promo beforehand, he's talking about all the, 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 the issues he has with the dirty white boy. And then... He literally says at the end, like the thing that he's most uh, upset about is apparently, I guess, Dirty White Boy took his Confederate flag and burned it. And that's the thing he's most upset about because, as he said, quote, I'm American by birth, but I'm Southern by the grace of God. (laughs) And Um, I was like. I, I you know like the meme of the guy like blinking like in his <laughs> eyes it's like that was that was literally me when he has like he almost and he whips out like a new Confederate flag I'm like just he me did blinking. mention that. um well he's the what he said is that uh, that dirty white boy had burned the flag that his grandfather had given him and the people of Sevierville were nice enough to give him another one yes. But yeah, I, I part of me is like, oh, well, part part of what he's so mad about is that that was from his grandfather. But then on the other hand, Matt, you're you're right. This is a very <clears throat> regional gimmick. So I, well, wanna... it, it is also the sign of the times because yeah. I mean, you could up until really like very recently, like you could have you could at least show the flag. It wasn't like you would necessarily be like, oh yeah, rah, 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 Confederacy. But right. you could get away with this in like early 90s. And you're right, like again, my family is from the South. It's not as if I haven't uh, been down to Georgia where my family is from and seeing Confederate flags on people's trucks or in their yards. Like I've seen it, but yeah. it was, <laughs> this was just kind of an eye opener. Yeah. There's a, there's a fun little um, aside to this um, this match coming up here. So uh, I guess I guess before the show, Tracy Smothers was like working like the gimmick table, selling some of his wares. And I guess a local Klansman came up to him and presented him with a business card and told him that um, if he did not take care of the dirty white boy tonight, that they were. Uh, Oh, yeah, that's. uh... Yeah, that's that's awkward. Didn't you um didn't you say you had a story similar to this from your wrestling days? Um not from my wrestling days, but there was a Okay, so one thing that happens a lot in Eastern Kentucky is that there are a lot of local festivals, right? People, you know, you have a local festival 
And you kind of, you know, you come in and you set up your booth and you sell food or you sell crafts or whatever. And there's usually a, a little carnival portion with rides that roll into town that you certainly hope are set up well. And um, the, uh, and the, um, you know, people can buy booths, right? Well, so I was at one of them and we're walking around and this no kidding KKK guy has set up a booth. And he's trying, yeah, there's one dude there, and he's trying to get people fired up, right? And for some reason, he thought I was someone to to try and pick something with and started yelling at me. And instead of ignoring him because I was, you know, 20, 21 and filled with piss and vinegar, um, you know, I started mouthing off back at him. And he said, I'm going to come over there and teach you different. I said, if you come over here, you're going to try. And he said, I'm going to rip your ass in half, son, and show you what a real man does. And that's when the police officer who'd been standing nearby goes, all right, that's terroristic threatening. You're coming with me. Um, but, you know, it was time I almost fought a Klansman in the middle of the street. So <laughs> it wasn't at a show. But uh, that did happen and then they never showed up again my the town i came from is really you know not a big town but the clan wanted to show up once and they did show up and have a rally once and they got protested out basically like they set up to have their uh they set up to have their rally and everybody in my town basically they just stood around with signs that said no hate in our town and refused to engage with them and after about 30 minutes they got so mad they just packed up and left so you know eastern kentucky's not as bad as people think but um yeah th- those those have been clan experiences that have happened in my life that's wild <sighs> This is Shad. Almost fought a Klansman once. (laughs) (laughs) It ain't like there's much left to the organization anymore, but... No, it would have been more of an issue, I think, when this happened. Mm Mm-hmm. So he didn't tell Cord- he didn't tell Cornette and told him after the show. Cornette's like, you could have told me that before we went on. (laughs) Now, I will tell you, this this next part, I... I absolutely love the next part. So we get like this recap of of um, Ron Wright. He presents um, the dirty white boy with his chain. Yes, the chain for, that he had with the matches with Whitey Caldwell. Yes. And I and, love, I'm sorry, I got to put this out there. I love that he pulled it out of a plastic Walmart bag. Yes. I love that. That just, that just fits. So, and to give some explanation, if you watch this and you wonder why they're wearing Yankee stuff, part of their heelish um, act at this point is they both renounced their Southern heritage and had moved to New York. Yeah, and they had they had some interesting like vignettes before. Yes, the, the, match. the first. Because I love that they're obviously in someone's backyard and Dirty White Boy is like cutting these promos. And the first one's like, you know what else we've got? And you hear this scream? He's like muggers. And he pulls, I swear, a fucking like huge, like fucking giant gun. It has to at least. He pulls a 1911. Yeah. He pulls yes. a, a 45. It's a real gun that he's pulling out of his waist pocket. Yeah. <laughs> his waistband. 
I said he was in Central Park shooting it. Yeah, that's the part that I love best because, uh, so again, like, he's all in Central Park and you could clearly, look, he's clearly like in the woods. He's like in the woods of Kentucky. And I mean, if you're not, if you're not someone who's knowledgeable about, (laughs) about New York, like this can't, this cannot possibly pass for Central Park. Like Central Park has trees, but it's not remotely looking like that or or wooded, and you would not be able to pull a gun. You wouldn't be walking around with a gun in your, in your waistband in in New York City. I honestly kind of love it for that, though, because it's just an extra layer of insulting people's intelligence. Yeah. And I'll get into the, the next couple of vignettes, but let's let's just take a moment. The dirty white boy is such a great talker. Like, there is such conviction to, like, everything he's saying, and he is just, like, such a dirtbag. <laughs> it's great like he is so proud of that gun too it's he he kept it going in a way that was engaging um because you would figure it would have run out of steam somewhere right but and then so then he shows us a melon because you know tracy smothers has a head like a melon and he starts calling him melon head and then he has a sack of flour because you know tracy smothers is like a pasty white boy and then he has a bunch of beer because that's what, you know, Tracy Smothers is a drunk. Right. <laughs> he, was, <laughs> he was really just just cutting loose with it. It was great. Like, it was such, like, such cutting to the bone. And I love the visual aids that yeah. he had for everything. So then he, like, tears all this stuff up with the chain. And he's pretty much just being a psychopath. And these were, I thought these were brilliant. Brad? Uh, yeah. yeah I, I think we had oh, sorry. I said, I thought these were, I thought these segments were brilliant. They, they, it was, it was funny because it was, for lack of a better term, it's just, it's just classic healing. And that's something that I, I think that I took away from from uh, my first full um, Smoky Mountain show is they do a lot of classic healing, which is is great, but it's it's kind of um, you you would look at it and you'd be like, oh man, they're just running the same the same thing people always do. But the thing is that stuff keeps getting used because it works. Like you guys were saying, like Brad was saying at the beginning of this, it's it's kind of timeless in its hokiness, but it's it's using the stuff that always works, and the stuff that always works always works for a reason, you know. So I'm 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 okay with that. And the other touch I really love is during the Dirty White Boy's entrance, like he has to wheel Ron right down to ringside. <laughs> Yeah, that's and it's just, well, it's just a fun little visual. And they even talked about um, Ron Wright getting out of the chair at a previous show. Yeah, right, he did that from time to time. He'd slip the heel something or other because it ends up he's faking. Like that's the end result of this. Sure, there's a payoff to it, and that's and that's great, right? Um. But you know, I, I I enjoyed watching that, and the and the match was was pretty good too. 
Oh, I think that I think this match is excellent. Like I'd probably we'll get into it a little more, but I would say this is probably the best singles match from Smoky Mountain, and I would probably give this probably four-ish stars if I was really like going to rate it. I don't feel like I would have rated it that high, but I did like the match. Um, I thought it was a pretty good. Um, I, get, I mean, you could call it a chain match. I guess it's a chain match, but yeah, it's a Tennessee chain match. Yeah, it has so, it has like more like the uh, the strap match rules where you have to like go around touching the ring posts. Well, that's that's uh, chain matches. As far as I've been aware, that's that's always been the thing to it. Same part I guess, of it. unless it unless it hasn't, someone's going to write in and be like, "Oh, actually, the original chain match, which was done by Yukon Eric and Dick the Bruiser back in the uh, okay, okay, fine." But in my experience, you know, if we get one of those emails or messages, I'll read the whole thing on a recording. But um, that's always been my understanding of of how it plays out, because otherwise, you just have two guys with a chain beating each other up, and what makes that that there's there's no point to the gimmick when you could just make it a street fight instead. So in in my awareness, that's how a chain match that that's how it's supposed to end. Now, whether it's got dog collars on the end or something like that is is a whole different thing. And then you know, like you said with a strap match, but the strap matches you can you can get a little bit different responses out of it because it's because of the sounds and that sort of thing. And I think the, the 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 strain of this gimmick they're using is very regionalized. I think to the Tennessee and Kentucky and like do you, do Alabama you know, areas. Do you know the history of the Ron Wright chain match thing? I know that was his deal. I don't know a lot about oh, it. Oh, listen to this. All right, check this out. Ron Wright ran, and I'm not I'm not even kidding about this. A like a. 15 20 year feud with Whitey Caldwell all across Tennessee and Kentucky with these bloody just horrendous Tennessee chain matches and they would do this pretty regularly and they would just beat the fire out of each other and they were like best friends Whitey Caldwell was like a white meat baby he was like a a, a Ricky Steamboat uh, Bailey Sting, kind of like this was a babyface, and Ron White was the mean, vicious, awful, perennial heel type. Until Whitey Caldwell, I think he died in a car wreck, and that night Ron White, out of respect for Whitey Caldwell, is how they sold it, turned babyface and took Whitey Caldwell's place in that tag match, and was babyface until he retired and started doing stuff as a manager in Smoky Mountain. Well, he did stuff. Um, Ron Wright did stuff in Continental as a manager too. I think. Okay, until he started doing the when he he was a babyface until the end of his active career, I think. But that's that's how much history goes in behind Ron Wright in chain match stuff. That's something they really did a good job of here. Is really they really pushed like the um, the prestige and um, how big a deal this like gimmick was. Mm-hmm. And but you know they didn't talk about the history as much, but they didn't really have the opportunity to because unlike the one of the current products, they talk about the actual match while it's going on. Well, they did a good job of 
even if you didn't know that, they did a good job of like explaining, you know, this is Ron Wright's match and it is a big deal that like he is passing mm. this down to the dirty white boy. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Um, I, I'm going to bring this up because, well, I figure it's, it's relevant enough. I have had a chain match. I thought I my chain match was pretty good. Oddly enough, in chain matches, you're going to see some recurring spots, and I used we used some of the spots that are in this. Um, there was some stuff I was expecting to see more of early on, because you know you've got the chain, you're going to use it. Obviously, you're going to use it to like whip the other person with some, but I expected I expected to see Tracy Smothers do more of it earlier. Like Dirty White Boy, whenever he took over, started started doing it. But you know, wrapping the chain around your fist, wrapping the chain around your elbow when you're going to hit him with it, wrapping around your knee to drop the knee on him, that sort of stuff. Um, you didn't really, you didn't see Smothers do much of that. No, Smothers was just kind of trying to win. Right. But, you know, knocking the other guy stupid helps you win. So, I don't know. What really surprised me with this is they really just took their time with it. Like, nothing felt hurried. It, it, they really, they let stuff breathe. Mm-hmm. They weren't afraid to, like, there were parts where they kind of just completely reset the match and started over from square one, which I thought was good for this style of match. Mm-hmm. Well, and they also put a, a stipulation on when you have to reset the corner count. Because, you know, to win, the, yeah, to win the chain match, you've got to go around you've got to hit all four corners. The stipulation that they announced for this is if the opponent lands an offensive maneuver on you, it resets the count. Yeah, they actually, that was actually pretty clever in my opinion. Yeah. Um, it, 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 I thought it was clever because they didn't have to use so many contrivances to reset the counts. Mm-hmm. Like, it was easy to kind of, like, get a little loose and punch the guy in the gut and you were back to square one like that really yeah spared them some stupidity and it, it made it seem like that it's like oh they didn't have to be like hurt or i'm an idiot and let the let it re- reset it was the other guy was cagey enough to stop me uh i actually just since we talked about that um the stipulation it actually made me sad because the ref here was uh the late great mark curtis Oh, yeah. Yeah. Also uh, um, known as Cowabunga the Ninja. <laughs> yeah. For those it's... who aren't aware, like Mark, uh, Mark Curtis was, uh, I remember him from WCW, mm-hmm. uh, where he was like a really long time. Yeah. He was, he was a great ref. Um, and as it turned out, he could work, too. We just never saw him do it because the guy couldn't gain weight. He was. Did he train with? Um, was he in Foley's class? I knew. I know he knew Foley, but I didn't think he was in the. I I always forget who was with Foley in that. Shane Douglas was. I know. Um, now I'm gonna look it up because I, I gotta know. Brian Hildebrand. He supposedly he supposedly a great worker that um, was just too small. I know. Um, the Cornette vs. Cowabunga the Ninja, if you can find it, is actually a really <laughs> fun comedy match, yeah. which is him as Cowabunga. Yeah. Um, and he was supposed to be like, um, oh, who told that story? Because they were talking about like what a nice guy he was, that even when he was like 
in like the terminal stage of like his cancer, like he wouldn't talk about like that. He would just be like talking about other guys' problems in the industry. Could you start that over? We kind of lost you. Uh, I was saying like um, the, he's just, like a notoriously nice guy that they said like even when he was in like his terminal stages of cancer that he would be more interested in talking about other guys' problems like with their oh. pushes and stuff. Yeah. So from looking it up real quick, uh, apparently Hildebrand started as a manager in 84. He went to Danucci's school in 86, but if I remember Foley's first book right, he was already able to work. He just came and worked with them because he liked the guys. But Oh, and Brian Hildebrand was apparently backstage was also known as the shooter because a fan tried to jump into a match that he was refereeing, and he just absolutely beat the fire out of them. So, uh, yeah, Randy, Randy Anderson did that in some match with DDP where he like put a chokehold on the guy and like gave him a working over. Yeah. So Randy, that was Randy Anderson's no longer with us either. Oh, is he really? I think so. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. He died in 2002. I'm looking it up. Hmm. So what I'm taking from this is that WCW hired hired meaner refs than anybody thought in order to because they were always going to people jumping the rail were always going to get past Doug Dillinger. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Sorry, I was like I was trying to look up um, Wikipedia things. Yeah. Apparently, Bobby Heenan Bobby Heenan said that guy's. <laughs> That that guy trying to hit the ring was just taken down by the smallest referee in the world. Jesus, Randy Anderson was only 42. Really? Well, I mean, Mark Curtis, Brian Hildebrand was like in, only in his late 30s. Yeah, 37. That sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Stomach cancer. Didn't they, I think, I think they, they called him the hamster down there, right? That was the story is like, Brian's a great guy. Just don't let him, don't let him get you started watching tapes with him. Cause he'd watch like these grainy old tapes from other Indies or Japan or something for hours on end. Expect you to be just as engaged as he was. Well, uh, did you, have you ever heard Cornette talk about like the early days of cable TV, which is one of the most fascinating things he talks about? Uh, no, I don't think so. He would talk about how he would go to his aunt and uncle who had like a, um, a dish in like um, probably like late seventies, early eighties. And he would just be like, no, I don't want to do anything else. Like just leave me a bag of pork rinds. I'm going to watch TV. I'm going to watch wrestling for like 10 hours today. (laughs) No, he talks about like him and um, Kenny Bolin and how like they got like VCRs. Like they were like the first people to get VCRs and like how, like the very early adopters of like that VCR stuff were wrestling fans. So they could start trading. Oh, like original tape trader stuff, right? Yeah. And like, you know, he spent like the grand on it and he talks about like just that early tape trading stuff he talks about is just fascinating. Yeah. That is interesting. Um, the end, I want to go back to the match. The end on this match was, was a fun, kind of bait and switch finish. Uh, not, not exactly. They set it up, but, uh, it was, a um, you know, it was, it was a fun finish. 
and I liked that. I thought it was I thought, good. Um, I thought the blade job on um, Tracy Smothers really added a lot to this. Yeah, yeah. Wait, say that again. The blade job on Tracy Smothers. Yeah, I actually felt like the blood actually really helped this match. Mm-hmm. It really kind of brought up like the emotion and the drama of it. And I liked when um, Dirty White Boy kind of like hogtied him. And, like, he fought his way out. He literally did the only thing he was capable of doing, which is pretty much doing, like, a monkey flip on him. Yeah. Yeah, that's that was a really good spot. Uh, I like that. And I was shocked with the server. This was, like, almost like a 30-minute match, and it did not feel like it whatsoever. You know, it really didn't. Yeah, that, I agree with that. It really didn't. So the end is pretty much Dirty White Boy, like, kind of gets him kind of an almost like a hangman behind him. Mm-hmm. And walks from post to post, and Smothers is, is um, also hitting the posts as they go. So they do it once and get to the third one, and they kind of hit each other, and then he goes and does it again. And they get to the last post, and Smothers, like, flips over him, taps the corner, and is your new Smoky Mountain heavyweight champion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, like I said, I like that finish. And I would say, I would say this is this is worth going. This is on YouTube by itself. This whole show is actually on YouTube. That's how I watched it. Uh, this match is worth seeking out. I would say it's difficult to find good chain matches on tape. This is a good chain match. You should absolutely watch a good chain match. Yeah, you should watch this. It's not as good as the main event. Like, I think the main event was the best match on the show, but this was really good. Matt, what do you think? Uh, I like I, I enjoy this match. It's not my favorite um, chain match I've ever seen, but uh, I did enjoy it. I didn't think it was good. I don't think I would rate it as high as, like, four stars, but... Okay. It's at least, like, in the three-ish range. Oh yeah, it, it, at the very least. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I mean, I, I, I know I had a really good one, and I appreciate you, you, you know, you know, giving me credit like that. But not many people have seen it, so you should, you should definitely watch this one. I haven't seen yours in like a long time because you were asking me something about it, and I was like, "Wow, I don't think I've seen that since like you had it." <laughs> I'll I'll spread it around. I'm I'm um, really joking more than anything else, but no, yours was yours was pretty good, but like um, I don't rem- I I have I have really shitty memory when it comes to matches sometimes, so mm-hmm. it's why I watch like just going behind the scenes. Like I try and watch these shows as close to airing as possible because I forget shit so badly. It's not even funny. Yeah, uh, that's what I tell people. I've been hitting the head a lot, so. Sometimes my memory goes. Uh. Yep. So after this, we get um, Tracy Smothers. Like he gives like a short like promo backstage, and Dirty White Boy jumps him. I kind of didn't like this. Like just give um, Tracy Smothers like his moment, and like have a uh, Dirty White Boy jump him on TV. I liked Smothers' post-match promo more than his pre-match promo. Yeah, it wasn't his cornball. Yeah. Yeah, I liked it a lot more. So. So then we go into the main event, and we get promos from all the teams competing. So this this main event is 
The Heavenly Bodies and Bobby Eaton, The Rock and Roll Express and Arn Anderson, and the stud stable and dutch mantel and i thought all the promos heading into this were outstanding especially the stud stable one mm-hmm. and um i like that robert gibson and bobby eaton did not speak they didn't need to yeah right you know i mean with everything going on they didn't have to say anything can i ask a question mm-hmm. what why exactly was Arn um, here in Smoky Mountain? Because I, I know this is like a weird period. It was like kind of just after in WCW the uh, the Dangerous Alliance had broken up, but he was still with WCW as far as I know. They so, were kind of they 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 were kind of working with WCW for a while. Like Cornette and the Heavenly Bodies appeared on like a Clash of the Champions, I think. Mm-hmm. So they might have done a loner there because Bobby Eaton was also kind of there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Eaton had kind of been hanging around. And um, so they did. I, you've probably seen it before. They did like the classic. They brought Arn out under like like a blanket. And Cornette, like, you know, is kind of kicking him in the shins, you know, kind of like poking him with his racket. And they pull the blanket off and it's Arn and like Jim Cornette like faints. Yeah. <laughs> Cornette was always so good about about selling someone that he was afraid of, you know. You just I don't feel like you see that as much. Cause my favorite Cornette one is um in World Class. I think they were feuding with the Fantastics. They were gonna bring their friend Little John out. <laughs> and a Cornette's like looking through the ropes, like looking down, like, where is the little guy? And they brought out this like big five hundred pound dude. So it was just funny. But um, I liked all the promos here. What did you guys think about like their... What's appreciated about his work is that he has never been shy about being willing to play the stooge to get something over. Uh, I, and I appreciate it because we just don't see that much now. Everyone has to be too cool for that. Yeah. Everyone's, everyone's too cool or too tough for it or something. It's like, you know... you. You're not supposed to, heels aren't supposed to be admired. They're supposed to be awful, and then when they get their coming up, come up, and you're supposed to enjoy it. But so, did you guys like the um, the promos leading into this? I did actually. Oh, they were good promos. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I also like Dutch Vantel saying he stole a car to get there. <laughs> What, he, he walked halfway and he hitchhiked some and he stole a car or something? Yes. And now the thing I really liked is they all come out like in like just absurd like I think the Rock and Roll Express had like those awful like parachute pants. I think Dutch Van Tell and like the the stud stable just had um knee pads on over like jeans. Yeah. And like um Stan Lane just had, like, a weightlifting shirt on and, like, trunks, I think. Yeah, like a pair of shorts or something. Some of them were wearing Zubaz. This this is exactly why I love the old, like, Southern or WCW, NWA um, bunkhouse brawls. Because Uh this is the attire. It's not a real, like, bunkhouse brawl street fight. (laughs) If you're not coming out in, like, jeans with your knee pads... On top of the jeans, 
and then yeah. like your cowboy boots or your boots with your jeans tucked into the boots and like I don't know like a t-shirt on or something if you're not look coming out looking absolutely ridiculous it's not a true bunkhouse brawl <laughs> yeah. so I was happy to see that there I actually marked out a little bit for that and this match this match is batshit insane <laughs> it's just a it's just a pure six brawl like there's yeah. almost no structure to it at all well, you know what my favorite part is? is So these, there's just humanity everywhere. Like, just mm-hmm. people just destroying each other. And then you have Bobby Eaton for, like, ten minutes just wandering around the ring with, like, a tire around him. Mm-hmm. Then he gets, like, a bucket <laughs> crammed over his head. And then his pants are falling down. Yeah, his down. pants yeah. fall down. And he's, walk- and he's running around in, like, long johns with his pants around his ankles. Yeah. And he's just, these people are just destroying each other, and he's doing comedy spots, and it actually fits. Yeah. Well, Bobby Eaton did some, he he remembered something that that was important. If everybody is, if everybody there is doing one thing, you do something that makes you different, and people will remember it. So in the middle of these guys, like, just blasting each other with stuff and destroying each other, here's Bobby Eaton stumbling around, looking like a goofus, and everyone's paying attention to him. Not everybody else, but to him. And in doing that, he is selling the fact that these guys have it over on him and he's making them look good. I don't think he actually gets an offensive move in all match other than he hits someone with a chair once. I don't know. Maybe. They were climbing the basketball pole, but nothing like came of that. Right. I think they were they were trying to to make something of it, but they were like they got up there and they're just like, no, we're not. No. No, 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 no. Incidentally, how many laps around the ring did Cornette do in, <laughs> in, in the course of this match? He got like three days worth of cardio in there, I think. Well, he, I think they used him really well. Like he didn't like interject himself unless someone got near him, and then he. Yeah, he did he something. Would give, he would give them like a, a, some hits with the the tennis racket what did they do to finally like take him out did Arn ddt him or did they no they pulled him in the ring and they they hit him with something um i think it might have been dutch got him i i couldn't remember if dutch had been eliminated but if the the stable had been eliminated by that point or not but they i i thought it was the rock and roll and Arn that got him in the ring and they did something which put him out but yeah so this this was hard to follow. Like I should have watched it a second time, but I get didn't get the time because I mean there is there is just like it's hard to follow because it's just people like just destroying each other. Mm-hmm. And there's like trash all over the ring. There's trash cans. There's Arn gets a fire extinguisher at one point. People are like running backstage to like bring more weapons out. Like I said, there's a tire that gets used. Yeah. And then and then they finally what I did like though is. When they finally get the stud stable out, they go for like one of those plastic chairs. Oh yeah, like the ones oh, you would yeah. sit in in like school. Yeah. Yeah, with the metal legs. Yeah. Yeah. They, they give. They give. Uh, was it Golden they got, or was it Robert Fuller? I think it might have been Fuller. Yeah. I forget. So then they pin them. Uh, that's when Arn gets the fire extinguisher. Arn DDTs everything moving. Um, yeah, I actually messaged uh, these guys when I was watching this. Like, everyone talks about Arn's spinebuster. His DDT is beautiful, and he is. was DDTing everyone in this. And they and who took it? Maybe it was Golden. I, somebody. They he just like drilled them. Yeah, 
I think it was Pritchard that he. Oh, maybe it was like, Pritchard. Really. Yeah, yeah, I think that's yeah. right. So then, um, Gibson has like a bum knee, but but he gets uh, Cornette in the figure four. Cornette's like selling it like death. Pritchard comes off the top rope with I'm guessing a loaded knee pad and pins Gibson. Heavenly Bodies and Bobby Eaton win, and I thought this was a really great main event. You know, it's so wild to watch, and and the thing that I like about these brawls is that over the course of it, if you're trying to watch a particular person too much, you miss what else is going on. So by the time you get to the end, there's not any of this bluster about like, why we wasn't selling enough, or he didn't take enough to justify getting. It's like these guys beat the crap out of each other for a half hour. Whoever gets pinned gets pinned, and that's okay. I just like the train wreck. Like it was, it wasn't like those super like contrived like plunder everywhere. This was just like. Yeah. A bunch of guys that didn't like each other just doing bad stuff to each other. <laughs> Matt, I'm giving you an opening here. Uh, sorry, I got distracted. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> Don't lie. That's all right. I just, I didn't know if you had something you wanted to say and you weren't you weren't being able to to uh, get an opening for it. No. But, no, it was a, yeah, it's a, it's a fun match and these big brawls are fun. I will, different uh, people I, do different stuff. I guess I did have one thought. I just I I actually liked it so much. I was a little sad that it ended it kind of quickly, in my opinion. I mean, I guess it was I utter was too, chaos, actually. but I felt like it could have could have it could have gone like another five minutes. At that point, it was it's the last match of the night. They're probably like, okay, all right, we we've done enough. We can go home now. But yeah, I, yeah, it, it probably still had some gas in the tank. I th- it's probably better to end it a little too soon than go too long. Never stay your welcome, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. So, this was a fun show to watch. It was, um, it was different. Um, it it's got. This is. I don't. God, I don't want to. If I say this, I don't want it to be taken the wrong way. But it's kind of like classic indie stuff done by people who know what they're doing and done done well. So it's it you get the you get the feel of like if you went to an indie show with a bunch of guys who knew what they were doing, this would be the kind of thing you would hope to see. But then again, you know, Cornette hired people who knew what they were doing, so of course, right? It felt to me like um a really old cr- style like Crockett, like mixed with some Mid South and Memphis shows, kind of what it felt like to me. Okay, Matt, what did it feel like to you? Uh, I mean, I felt the last two matches kind of redeemed it, but I wasn't really feeling it uh, overall until the last two matches, which I thought were pretty good. Um, it didn't, it didn't quite have like a Crockett feel to me. Okay. Okay. Well, I. I would give this an easy thumbs up, like at least at worst, watch the last two matches. Mm-hmm. I would say that I would say the chain match has a lot of merit. And if you just want to see a crazy, like it's just a crazy brawl, like watch the main event. Oh yeah. It's fun. All right. Well guys, is there anything we else we wanted to say about this? 
Or we we pretty much we t- pretty much talked it out, right? I I really need that sound clip of like Jamie Dundee talking about Robert Fuller's giant dick because that always makes me laugh. You're you're breaking up a little bit. I said um I said I need the um I wish I had that sound clip of like Jamie Dundee laughing like talking about Robert Fuller's giant dick. <laughs> <laughs> If you guys want to watch this, it's on YouTube. Uh, Smoky Mountain Bluegrass Ball ninety three, and and it's it's only like an hour and fifty minutes. Like it does fly pretty quick, even though the the first couple matches are a little lackluster. It is a quick show. Yeah, yeah. So all right, Matt. Was there anything else you wanted to? No, I think I, I think we've covered it. All righty. Well, hey everybody. Um, that's been the Four Corners podcast on. Bluegrass Brawl 93. I want to thank you all for joining us tonight. We've been in three corners. You're in the fourth. Please hit us up on social media. Let us know what you think. Did you like the chain match? Did you like the brawl? Do you think that Brian Adams was great or just the absolute drizzling garbage? Hit us up. Let us know. We'd love to hear from you, and we'll see you next time.